How's it, everybody? Welcome back for another episode with me, Nick. As always, I'm joined by my good buddy, Ronnie. Hello, everybody. And this episode, we're also bringing you a lucky interview with Baby Box Center, Ethan Hooker. That's coming on a little bit later. I look forward to that. Yeah, definitely looking forward to having Ethan on here. Ronnie, we had a pretty lucky weekend this weekend. Went through to Hearties again on Friday. I'm managing to, to lure Ronnie that that's, side. That's Hardabia's put down for people. I need people from Hardabia's put down call it Hearties. Okay. Well, as Ronnie said, we went through to the dam. My grandparents have a spot out there. And then we went to our buddy Linz's farm. He has the nut and owl. You guys should check him out on Instagram. It's a lacquer spot. We had a nice pizza evening, some red wine, Ronnie. You can handle your wine, eh? Or not so much. Yeah, why not? Why not? Eh? You definitely, definitely don't handle your red wine well. Well, it's, it's actually surprising. I mean, my parents held that secret for many years. I always thought beer was the way to go, but wine, wine makes you festive. Yeah, let's just say the gentlemen never handle wine as well as the ladies do. It's always a bloody struggle. Well, to say that, we don't have the greatest drinking tolerances either, eh? Speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. Well, we'll see you this weekend, Ronnie. So obviously we're looking at heading through to Ellis Park. There's a game there between the Box and Los Pumas. Before we get onto that game, Ronnie, I think we should just have a little chat about the, the Ellis Park experience. I'm nervous about going. Yeah, so to put it in perspective, we have written Ellis Park as one of our worst stadiums. I wrote, I wrote them off completely. Yeah, so Ronnie's a little bit bleak with me that I'm forcing us to go through to the game. It's not a nice place to go. It's not the greatest experience. But Richard, one of the guys that listens to the pod, wrote in, asked us to reconsider it. And so that's what we're doing this weekend. It's just unfortunate. I guess we're going to have to go watch the Springboks live. Yeah, well, that definitely puts a cherry on the top of it. It's the only cherry. It's the only cherry. So we put out a poll on on Instagram to find out, you know, what's the best way of getting there. and, And people seem to have come back with Uber. But Uber for me might be great for getting there. But coming back and trying it's to find chaos. an Uber there, it's yeah, it's like trying to find your phone outside the stadium if you left it in your pants pocket. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And uh, it surprised me as well. But the second option was driving yourself. Yeah, driving yourself as well. We've, We've done that before. We have done that before. Also not the greatest having to leave your car and park there. So I think Ronnie and I are going to go with the park and ride option. I think that's the safe bet. Yeah, it's a, it's a long one coming from mainland all the way through, but I think it's the safest option. We've uh, had some fun experiences on that park and ride as well yeah, the way back. That's true. Actually, funny enough, the year we beat the All Blacks with Lambie's kick. We broke we, down on the highway. Yeah, on the N1 in the highway, we broke down in that bus, and then there was a military engineer from the SNDF sitting with us. That's right. Yeah, and what did he say? He tells us, no, guys, we need to get off this bus. We shouldn't be sitting in the back of a bus. On the N1 highway. In the middle, standing still on the highway. So we had to get off the bus and, and go stand on the side of the road because you just couldn't see what was coming behind us. Yeah, that was that was definitely an interesting experience. And we once got lost in Yeovil with the bus. That was We also got Yeovil and you guided them through that yeah. uh, all the way back from the highway. But yeah, apologies for anyone that does end up on the bus with Ronnie and I through to Mainland this weekend because we will be giving the, the driver a flash stick with a good playlist for the rugby on it. And we'll probably be having some beers in the back of the bus. Okay. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. So, Ronnie, let's dive in then. Let's kick it off with the first game this weekend. We have the Wallabies hosting the All Blacks at MCG in Melbourne. 11.45 kickoff. All Blacks should be nervous. Yeah. According to Eddie, the All Blacks should be nervous. I don't know so much. 
I'm hoping that the Wallabies can pull this one off, but I fear it me. Yeah, I mean, this is now going to be their third game at the MCG. They average an attendance of 81,000 people at each of their three games. Did you have to look at your notebook there because it's such a big number? I did, and because you keep disproving my maths, Ronnie, so you're not going to write it down now. It's called math. Math. (laughs) (laughs) That's a cup joke. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a big one. I'm assuming it's going to be quite packed there again. Can the Wallabies do it, Ronnie? I mean, they can. I don't think they've got a 0% chance, but I don't think that they've got a good chance. Let's put it that way. I don't know what the figures should be. I don't know what the bookies are saying. I mean, obviously the bookies are leaning towards the All Blacks based on history, based on, you know, their recent performances. But look, Eddie's got to do something magical. And, and if he beats the All Blacks, he does what the Springboks did in 2018. That's true. You have a point. But I know that you're one of the cheaters that has a, a paid Super Brew account. So what are the insights saying there? That's funny that you say that because you're actually the one with a paid account. Yeah, we'll, we'll agree to disagree, Ronald. Okay, sure. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough for the, the Wallabies. You know, Eddie will, would love to get the Bledisloe. Funny enough, the last time the Wallabies had the Bledisloe was with Eddie as coach in 2002. So tell me there's no warm-up fixture that's going to count as a second Bledisloe. It's just one, one game and that's it. No, they will play again next weekend in New Zealand like we're going to Argentina. That just isn't part of the rugby championship. It's not part of the rugby championship, but it's also but it's part of the Bledisloe. Yes, it's the second Bledisloe test. Okay, so they actually they have two. So Wallabies are going to have to win two to retain the cup or to get the cup. Correct. Otherwise, it stays with the, uh, with, uh, with the previous year's winner. Correct, correct. And you know, last year was the All Blacks' 50th title in the Bledisloe. Wallabies have only won 12. Is that really true? Yeah, that's really true. Because we've only been playing the Freedom Cup for 17 years. Yeah. So, no, I mean, this is a competition that dates back to the 1930s between them. Wow. So, it's, it's, it means a lot to the sides. I know the Wallabies really, really wanted. I know Lackey was speaking about it from Scrum Bags. Wallabies, it would be epic to see. Not so sure that they can pull it off. They really would need to turn their fortunes around at the moment. But never discount Eddie Jones. Yeah, look, I'm going to be back in the Wallabies flat out. I'm going to be supporting. I'm going to be screaming from the top of my lungs. Honestly, go Wallabies. Waltzing Matilda. Waltzing Matilda. And let's waltz your way past 20-game losing streak. Or 20-series losing streak. Okay, I was about to say, it's not 20 games. Okay, but yeah, sure. It's, they're up against it. Definitely up against So, I mean, it's your super brew call as opposed to my heart says Wallabies by 5. My head says All Blacks by 22. <laughs> your bold call there, Ronnie. All Blacks by 22 is a big one. I'm going to go a little bit less and say All Blacks by 14. Okay. One, one, dry, yeah. one dry difference. <laughs> Much of a muchness. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so that one has the potential to be the decider though, Ronnie. Do you have the log there for us? Oh, absolutely. So I was prepared for this. So in fourth place is, is Australia. You know, they've played two. They've lost two. And they've got one point. Argentina in third place. They've won one out of their two games. So they're on four points. South Africa having won one out of two, so they are on five points, and New Zealand two for two on nine points. So based on that, right, so if Australia actually pull this one off, South Africa would need to beat Argentina by a bonus point, right, to to sort of claim the victory, and we've got to make sure that, you know, New Zealand doesn't get a a bonus point loss, which uh, it's a tough ask, it really is. Yeah, our destiny is sort of out of our hands at this point in it. You know, we've got to count on the Wallabies to keep the All Blacks pointless so no bonus point losing try you know no no victory obviously then we're dead in the water 
But we have the potential of seeing a final or the deciding test at Ellis Park between Los Pumas and the Springboks. Uh, that is an interesting call that you make there. You're absolutely right. So if the Pumas obviously get five points, they're also, they can also make it to nine. But I think the, the other factors are not in their favor. Yeah, the points difference might be a tad difficult to overcome. Yeah. But it's definitely a mathematical probability. It's, it's statistical possibility, but not probability. Yeah, you see, here we go with this maths nonsense again, Ronnie. Yes. So then let's jump over to Box versus Los Pumas. That's kicking off at five past five here in Johannesburg. Altitude? Altitude is difficult, but you have to remember that uh, as other than Buenos Aires, I think Pumas also are used to playing some of their games at altitude, right? So um, it wouldn't be too uh, too much of a surprise for them. They've been they've, they've played at the high on the high, on the high field before, so Los Pumas will know what's up against them. Augustine Creevy potential 100th cap so he's going to be firing and he's going to get that team fired up yeah big gus creevy it would be epic to be there for his 100th test and first pumas player ever to reach the century yeah that's uh, that's an unbelievable you said that on last week's podcast and i was actually quite surprised by that uh, yeah surprised by the fact that you've got some cool facts every now and again and also surprised by the fact that there's no centurion and Coming out of Los Pumas ever. Yeah, and it trusted to be the one that enjoys your puberty recipe that makes it big hundred. Eh? Yeah, absolutely. So I had a conversation with old Augustine this week, and uh, he's thoroughly enjoying South Africa and the Puravors here. Uh, reminds him of home over there in Argentina. So I gave him a couple of tips. You know, once again, the trusty puberty recipe, and uh, he's very thankful for that. Does he ever go by Gus? Is it always Augustine? No, it's August. So, you know, obviously now we've spoken about Ellis Park and the fact that we're not really keen on going there. Why was this test not played somewhere else? It looks like they're struggling to sell tickets. Swayze de Brain has come out and said, you know, he hopes people buy. Jockey comes out today saying the same thing. But we had a test at Loftus. Why not give this to Mbombela? Give this to Durban. Yeah. Cape Town's unavailable because the pitch is being reconstructed. Yeah, yeah, but there's a lot of other stadiums in the country. You know, you go down to PE, that's a brilliant stadium too. Kings Park, Lacquer Stadium. Nelspreit, Lacquer Stadium. But I think I think the reality is as to why they've been struggling to sell tickets for this Springbok fixture is purely based on the fact that people aren't willing to go to Ellis Park anymore. It's you've got to constantly, you know, watch watch your surroundings, see what's happening around you, just be careful about what's happening. And, you know, the driving, leaving the, the venue after the game, it's so congested, so busy, it's not it's difficult. You can't just walk like you do, maybe even with Loftus, to the to the shopping center next door and have a beer there, wait for the traffic to cool down. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, the allure of an All Blacks game will fill a stadium, but not to call them lesser opposition, but it's not the, the pinnacle of box versus All Blacks. And that's going to struggle to draw a crowd to a place like Ellis Park. I really think they would have had a better chance of drawing a crowd for a game like this at one of the other stadiums. Mbombela really turned out last year. And I think that they deserve to be rewarded for that. So, interestingly, I watched Xia Khaleesi's first match at Mbobela against Argentina. Sold out crowd. Sold out. You see, exactly my point. PE, another stadium that hasn't had a game in a long time. But enough complaining about Ellis Park. Is this the last chance for players before the World Cup squad is named? Because we'll get into the team just now. But only one more game after this. Another one against Argentina before... Shark will be naming the 33 players on the way to France. Yeah, it's a difficult one because you don't want to be chopping and changing the team in the 11th hour. And then we really are at the 11th hour now, right? So 
the, the like you say, the the squad will be announced and that team will go on to play the warm-ups in the Northern Hemisphere. But this is an opportunity for those that have got their chance now to to cement their position, secure, make sure that they are going to be there. Every player that is has been selected for this weekend, I think, stands a good chance. They're probables to be in the squad. That's we have to look at it like that. And these probables need to be careful that they don't perform so dismally that they play themselves out. But look, we know that uh, Rassi and Jacques, Russ Narba, they, they, they stick to their guns. So even if a player is down and out, they know what they have in him. So they're going to stick with him. You know, in saying sticking to their guns, I feel that this has probably been the plan all along. Most of these players will have known that they'll be expected to play in this test. The guys would have known who was facing Oz and New Zealand. And I'm pretty sure they also know who's going to be playing against Argentina next week with everybody getting their chance to sort of prove their, their eligibility and their, their eagerness and put on the table what they offer ahead of a World Cup squad announcement. So looking at it, I thought, okay, this is probably an experimental team. Next week, we'll probably select our strongest team that we believe we can take to the World Cup. And then after that, in the Wales test, we'll probably do a mix and match. And then I think we'll head out the strongest team again against the All Blacks. So I don't think you can read too much into these selections at this point. Look, for me, interestingly, it's a couple of decisions. I know Stephen Kitchoff was starting his third test match now. I know Oxen Chair was supposed to be in the mix. But that just goes to show, in the absence of Oxen Chair, we really are sticking to our uh, Stephen Kitchoff game. But side and forwards aside, I'm not too worried about the forwards. I think backline selections are going to be very important. And it's good to see Kirtley Orenso getting a run. You know, Marty Lubbock getting a run at 10. What's our scrammy's name? Grant Williams. Grant Williams getting a run at nine. That's fantastic to see. They've got Jesse Creel in there now, and you made a comment about Jesse Creel today. So I'm not 100% sure, but I think after this weekend's game, they'll probably answer the comment. Yeah, so well, with that, Ronnie, let's get into the team that's been announced. We can just take it like we always do, piece by piece. So as Ronnie pointed out, Stephen Kitsoff is starting at Loosehead Prop again. He's joined in the front row by Malcolm up the middle, Marks and Franz Malhober. So very strong front row there. Many have been calling for Malcolm to get a start. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely an argument that that he is the best hooker in South Africa, but I think that he just fits such a plays such a pivotal, such a brilliant role off the bench. You know, just when Bongi's exhausted, everybody comes on and capitalizes on on the opposition's exhaustion. Good to see him getting a start. He definitely deserves one. Yeah, I think we say it time and time again, we really can't pick and choose and argue about who starts in the front row and who benches because we really just have such quality available. Exactly. But good to see some rotation in the hookers. Then we're reuniting the schoolboy partnership of Irvin Etzebeth and Marvin Ori. They attended high school together. This will be their second test together. Yeah, absolutely. So that's another one for the high school books. Yep, that's an impressive record. Marvin was very good against the Wallabies. He controlled the lineouts well. So I'm keen to see what he can pull out this weekend against Argentina and Thomas Lavanini, who proved a handful for the Wallabies too. And didn't get carded. And didn't get carded. So he's made some, he's made some real progress in that. And, I, and look, I, I think you're right. Marvin Ori, excellent against the Wallabies in the lineout. So we just hope that they compete uh, in the lineouts this week against Argentina. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what stance we take after we dissected that lineout a situation against the All Blacks. And then, Ronnie, we're reuniting the loose trio that started the test against the Wallabies at Loftus a few weeks ago. Marku van Staden is back to dish out some load shedding. Peter Steff to Toy is at seven, and Dwayne Thorfimulen captains the side from eighth man. 
I'm sorry, but just uh, calling Marky van Staden, you know, dishing out some load shedding is just such a brilliant comment, honestly. Thank you very much, Ronald. Oh, it's cool. He's going to be dishing out stage six this, this weekend. Here we go. I mean, he was phenomenal against the Wallabies. He was the guy I said should have been man of the match. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And then Thor getting the captaincy over Irban. What do you make of that? Yeah, look, I think uh, they've highlighted Thor as just one of the leaders in the team. And right when he's in the team, then he's going to be captain, right? He seniority dictates that, you know, he should be captain if he's in the team. And that's what's happening here. Yeah, and I think, you know, with CS still not returning, this might elevate Dwayne back to the starting team ahead of Jasper if his leadership proves that vital because against the Wallabies, he again was outstanding and he really led from the front. And you really like Dwayne. I really like Dwayne, but I also really like Jasper. No, I agree. I agree with you there. So it'll be interesting to see what happened in the games to come between those two. But it's good. We've got two solid eighth men. Yep. Then, Ronnie, a backline that really excites me in a number of positions. So let's start with the 9-10 axis. That's... Grant Williams and Marnie Lubbock. Yeah, that's going to be an exciting matchup. I agree with you. I'm glad. Just, you know, Grant Williams, explosive player. I, I love him. And, you know, by all means, I'm so grateful that they gave him a shot and very excited to see what he can offer, especially with Marnie, right? So he's going to be nippy around, around the edges. He's going to pass to Marnie, who's confident enough to run, but also very confident to distribute that ball. So very excited to see how that ball makes its way to our explosive wingers. I definitely agree with you. I think those are two heavily attacking mindset players. I think they're going to, behind this pack, be able to really get the Springbok backline moving. And then, Ronnie, I'm going to skip over the centers for now and go straight to the ankle breakers. Kirkley, Arnton, and Chase and Colby finally starting the test together. Yeah, look, I think I think there's an element of... Uh, I still enjoy the physicality of someone like a Mapimpi on the field, a very big winger, a Kane and Moody-like player. But if you're going to play Kurt Lawrence, he's explosive. He, you know, he can he can turn on a dime and he can go from zero to 100 miles an hour in a fraction of a second. So that's that's fantastic, and we see that on both sides of the field. So the opposition better be wary. I just still believe fundamentally, though, that small guys are going to have a hard time defending. But look, they've proven me wrong. Chesson's proven me wrong many a time. Yeah, I think you're still stuck in some of the old thinking with the defensive capabilities of these guys because they have been pretty great for the box in recent years. But shit, man, you have to feel for any team defending against two South African wingers that both wear scrum caps. Yeah, I don't know who I'd rather defend against, Kirtley or, or, or Cheslin. Yeah, neither. I'm out, coach. I've got the flu yeah, this week. going to break your ankles. <laughs> yeah. So that's very exciting. And then I'm very glad to see Vili getting entrusted with the 15 jersey. I think he brings a good balance of experience. And honestly, nine, Grant, Marnie, Vili, Cheslin, and Kirtley Arnser. Yes, that's an attacking set of players. No, very exciting. And I think you're absolutely right. With that forward pack, if they if they get any sort of dominance, that backline's just going to run right. So then, Ronnie, onto the centers. We've got Damien Dialende at 12 and Jesse Creel at 13. This seems to be what's upset people the most. Guys wanting Andre Esterhazen to get another chance. Not happy with Jesse at 13. But let's just be clear about that. Under Estes, and should be playing 13, right? So they're upset about the fact that he's not playing instead of Damien, right? Correct. Okay. I just want to clarify that because I did see some comments about people wanting to play Estes in at 13, which I think is incorrect. Yeah, I definitely think that's incorrect. So, yeah, yeah interesting center pairing. I'm keen to see what they can dish out. But with that attacking flair around them, their work's going to be... Fairly simple. They're always going to have an oak looping around and in space ready to take the ball up. 
Yeah, absolutely. Vili's going to be in that second to outside channel, and then he's going to be offloading to an explosive winger on the on the fringes. Uh, so their responsibility is just don't don't knock the ball on. Yep, there we go. Then onto the bench, we have Trevor Nyakane returning to the box side for the first time this year. He's joined in the front row subs by Bongi Mbonambi and Vincent Koch. Jeez, I don't actually even want to say it, and I'm not going to say the exact words that I'm thinking in my head. I just hope uh, Trevor, Trevor, just keep stay standing. Yep, let's see what they can dish up there. Koch Smith, Arche Sneeman, the two forwards completing the bench there, 5-3 split. Yeah, absolutely. So that's an interesting observation. You're absolutely right. 5-3 split. Wondering why we're going for that against Argentina, why we didn't employ that later on. Look, I think with the 5-3 split, I wonder whether we're going to attack in the lineouts or not. Then in the back line on the bench, we have Faf de Klerk, Lucanio and Damien Willemser. Yeah, so Faf de Klerk, good. He probably does need a bit of game time still, right? They probably just included him there. Bring him on with 10 minutes to go or 20 minutes to go if Grant Williams isn't cutting the mustard. So, uh, yeah, let's see what happens there. Still, Damien Phillips, you've got to have him in your team now. He is our utility back, and he will be our utility back for the next decade. So, now the Springboks three tests, we've used three scrum halves. We've started Reiner, we've started Fuff, we've started Grant. The others have benched for each other. Are those the three scrummies going to France? It's a safe bet, but it's also a very sad one, right? Because we can't take all those scrum halves to the World Cup. And I think Jaden Hendricks, uh, I think Herschel Yankees, Jeez, uh, I can't imagine having that conversation with them and saying, listen, boys, you can't come with. Yeah, it's hectic. And I mean, Jaden struggling with injury. It doesn't look like he's overcome it yet to get that starting role. And running out of time, one game left after this, will he be able to do enough in that one fixture to prove he goes over Grant or Kourbis or Fuff? Yeah, and it's one thing to, to prove that you should have that position in practice. It's a whole different kettle of fish when you need to do it in a game. They haven't had the game time to prove that. So. And the three that have have all played well. Yeah, Kubis Reinach, big fan of his. I did not think that he would obviously he would make it. I thought that he was perhaps age a little bit aged. Yeah, look, he was favoured in what was the first test match. So, by all means, let's if he gets a, if he cracks the nod, I don't think it's a bad choice. But I think any any three of those five scrum offs, uh, you're going to find people that are going to be happy, and you're going to find people that are not happy. Yeah, I think you're right, Ronnie. It's always tough to see, but it's going to be a great game to watch. Andrew Brace, referee from Ireland, he's taking charge of the match. He's joined by an Irish TMO and a touch judge. And then Mr. Shukeli is finishing out the touch judges there. Ronnie, what is your prediction for this one? It's going to be messy. It's going to be, it's going to be all over the place. We've got to prevent Argentina from taking us to that loose game. But... Yeah, it'll be interesting how we respond. So, look, I don't think it's going to be a runaway from the Springboks. I think it'll be a win because, you know, Ellis Park, much like Loftus, the crowd's going to be loud. They're going to be screaming. They're going to be shouting. And for that, I'm going to say Springboks by, let's say, eight. You know, when you said it's going to be messy and it's going to be all over the place, I thought you were talking about yourself drinking a beer. That describes it perfectly. Yeah, Ronnie, I'm going to say Springboks spring box by 15. Yeah, I think you're wrong. Yeah, well, that's all right. All right, guys. Well, then we should jump over and welcome our guest on the show. We've got Ethan Hooker today on the show with us. One of the baby box, also playing down at the Sharks. Ethan, thanks so much for joining us, bud. Oh, thanks for inviting me. I'm very stoked to be here. Yeah, I hope it's a bit warmer down there in Durban than it is in Pretoria. Ronnie and I are freezing up here at the moment. Yeah, trust me, Durban don't really see cold days. It's always hot, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know you guys have it, have it lucky for the training and stuff. 
So are you back down in Derbs now, having concluded the Under-20 Championship? Yeah, so flew back that Saturday after the final, after our last game, and just been, yeah, we've got a three-week break now before we go back. Okay, that I'm still on the break, is that it? Yeah, yeah, I'm still enjoying my break as much as I can. Like, are then you guys getting stuck in prepping for the URC season, or what's coming up next? Well, it sounds like I've spoken to a few of my boys at the Sharks. I think we're going back into pre-season under 21, so I think that's the next comp we're looking at. Okay, like, yeah, and some changes yeah. there in the Shark Tank with John Plumtree coming in. Have you guys... Yeah, no, actually, yeah. Have I haven't met guys... him. I haven't really been coached by him yet, but I'm keen to get there. Yeah. yeah, I think everyone's quite excited. We are both Sharks fans, so we're quite excited to see old Plum coming mm. back down to the tank. Yeah, yeah, we but... just need Dick Muir in the picture, and then we've got the old gang back together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It brings a vibe, actually, to the stadium. You can feel it when a new coach comes in and it's like a vibe. Yeah, that excitement yeah, builds. So yeah. maybe as a starting point, let's just have a little chat about the under-20 championship you guys played in. You know, you and another Sharks boy, Jorenzo, were really the standouts in the baby box side. I know a lot of our followers are very excited when they saw you were coming on. How was the tournament? You know, you guys struggled a little bit with the results, but in general, good tournament? Yeah, I mean, that was the tournament of my lifetime. I'm not going to lie to you. That's one of the best experiences I've ever faced in my life. Physicality-wise, we found it wasn't too different from our own, like, domestic comps, I guess. But just that the level of skill level that all the other teams brought is just something different. and that's. I mean, I think South Africa can learn from as a whole. Yeah, I mean, it's the best of the best from all the all the nations yeah. coming together. I mean, if it's a yeah, did you get a did you get a chance to play touch rugby in in your off time against any of the opposition? No, we actually at such we said it's just for a bit. We were with New Zealand there, but and then back at the hotel with Argentina. But before we played Argentina, I don't really like talking to each other. We get into elevators, it's quite <laughs> awkward actually. You can you can feel the tension. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah, some interesting weather conditions down there. I know the one fixture was very, very muddy that you guys played in. Was that yeah. tough to contend with as well? Um, thankfully, I didn't actually play that game. I was out in that game. But we did talk about it before our comp. We said that Cape Town in the winter, winter rainfall is going to be muddy, especially on the grass. And we, we prepared ourselves in those conditions. I mean, our whole preseason since April was in the mud. So it wasn't like we weren't used to those conditions. We were prepared for them. Ready for the yeah, we've enjoyed our time down there in Cape Town, although we heard, you know, going through to Athlone's not the easiest journey for fans coming to the stadium. But yeah, we wanted to come down. Unfortunately, we didn't get down there. But great to see all the sides coming through to South Africa. It's nice having all those sides. Yeah, they come experience the awesome African culture. And so they all had a great time being there. It's a shock for them, right? They usually come here and they imagine one thing and then next thing you know, there's cold beer. It's, it's relatively good yeah. weather. And yeah, we're a, we're a bunch of Great oaks of this country. Yeah, it's just especially kids on its own. It's like a whole different country from the rest of the country. And, and they're very shocked when they get you. Yeah, it's, it's deceptive actually being, being down yeah. there. A couple of the, the readers or our followers wrote in with some questions. I'm just going to work them throughout the interview as we, we come up yeah. to these topics. All right. So Stacy wrote in and she asked us, you know, how much of a difference will an under 20 rugby championship tournament make for the baby box? We actually spoke about that in our build-up up to the Rugby World Cup. We spoke about how much of a difference just international level of competition could do for us in prep because I mean, ultimately in a game of rugby, you learn from mistakes and just competing with local teams in South Africa, you don't really get that competition you need in order to make mistakes to learn from. And it just gives you that better experience. You know what the rest of the world are like. You know what they're going to bring. Just a whole bunch of experience coming into the comp. 
Yeah, I think you could definitely see the difference with the Six Nation sides. They performed better than they traditionally do in this tournament. And I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that they are playing in under 26 nations. And it's good games, regular competition and, and quality opposition that they are facing. Yeah, it's just good preparation for the under 20s that ultimately go up into the senior leagues as well to be, you know, get used to that tournament, like uh, those tournament like games, which is awesome. Exactly. I mean, our junior box last year went off into that summer series and they, they were unbeaten through that summer series simply yeah. because they also hadn't had that level of like experience yet. I think that was more equal competition there. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, this under twenty championship being announced is is epic. It's really great that we're going to see the the baby box, the baby blacks, Argentina, and the Aussies all in a competition. You know, some of the guys on our page commented and said, you know, it would be great if you could see these sides opening for their national sides. So the under twenties play, and then we have the box versus all blacks at Ellis Park afterwards. You know, the tournament is going to be in a single country. Which do you? Which would you have preferred it to have been? I'm not too sure. I'd say. Maybe sticking to one country because I feel like you need that different like climate and different crowds and different atmospheres to ultimately test you and get out of your comfort zone and test you in those ways. True. And I guess being on tour with your side also helps to build a bit of team cohesion, hey? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, ultimately the World Cup's always gonna be in one like one location. So you get to one location, you get in, into that World Cup vibe and that World Cup like like just short travels rather than whole international travels like that. You get into the routine like that. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I suppose Ethan, you're right, because you're you're coming together from a whole bunch of different unions. You don't necessarily know all the players and, and I think Nick hit the nail on yeah. the head there when you're on tour with these boys and you're all staying in the hotel together over a couple of weeks. You really get to know the guys. You know, something that if you play with them for many years, but that's not usually the case with under-20s. Yeah, definitely. I mean, team cohesion is the biggest thing in rugby. I mean, you can't play with 14 other strangers on the field. If you know exactly what mm. the person on your left and the person on the right is going to do, it makes the game of rugby a whole lot simpler. No, for sure. That definitely counts. It definitely does. So, Ethan, you're obviously a Westville boys graduate. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, I see. You had quite a few of the guys that, we're in school with you writing in and saying what's up and, and whatnot. And we, we picked a question there from Emitle. So he asks us, you know, how do you think your career would be now if you hadn't changed from a forward to a back? It's actually a funny story. I didn't actually change from a forward to a back. I've, I was always a back. I played Grand Como at 12 still. But going into my grade 11 year, there was another 12. I don't know if you guys know him. His name Mumbo and Keys. He was really good 12. So our coach said they, they sort of won both of us in the same team. I was basically like the eighth backline player. I scrummed at eight, but I knew none of the line out calls. I was I was a backline player, an open player. I was a back. No matter what I did, I was a back. Yeah, so nothing oh, actually changed. I've just always been a twelve. Yeah. So you're an honorary eighth man. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, all my coaches I've had always teased me about that, but I'm, I'm definitely not eight. I don't see how many. No, come on, it's the best the best position on the field. Uh, Ethan. Eighth man. Oh, you got to love it. It seems like only eights will say that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we go. I've told you this a number of times, Ronnie. It's only you eight men that think that, eh? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you were never actually a forward. You you always a back and your coach wanted to fit you into the team. I was going to ask a follow-up yeah. question on when you made the change, but you, you've obviously cleared that up for us now. But I mean, centre, you, you're really physical and you're at a team that has the likes of uh, Rohan Janssen van Rensburg. Do you guys get to work together much at training? 
Oof, I mean, I feel like off seasons we do we join them quite a bit. We like run shadow against each other and stuff, and I'll have like one on ones with them. But I think in comp and like maybe say two months before our comp, we don't we hardly even see them. But I mean, they they're always walking around. We have a coffee shop there. They're always walking around. They have lunch there. I mean, if I want to go ask them anything like that, I'm free to go to do that, and they always help. So, I mean, having like role models like that who play similar to me in the same union as me, it does help a lot. Lucky to see some of these big names also returning to the Shark Tank, but we're looking forward to seeing you get some game yeah. time in the URC this year, hey? Yeah, thank you. That's that's the goal, hopefully. So then Josh wrote in and he asked, you know, which coaches had the biggest impact on you in your career so far? Sure. I mean, there hasn't been a coach that I haven't had that hasn't taught me something or hasn't like taught me a good life lesson, but one name does stand on that is the coach I have now, that's JP Peterson. Um, just that level of experience that he brings. I mean, obviously, he's played seven-yard games from the Springboks, and with that experience, he, he brings a standard into training. And if you want to play his teams, you have to up your standard to get to meet his standards because he's a winner. That's what he does. He wants to win. His passion on the field, you can ask my, all my boys on my team, we feel like he's on the training ground. I think he still wishes he was there training with us and stuff. Just the passion he brings, he, he wants to win just as badly as we want to do. And, and then a coach that you can almost like meet on that same passion level, it helps a lot. Yeah, that's great. Actually... Uh, uh, yeah, Ethan, that's that's a brilliant, brilliant comment because I know Nicholas is uh, is a big fan of JP Peterson. He won't shut up about JP. One hundred percent. Many years. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, JP's a legend. So it's really good that you get to work with him, him there at the Sharks, and it's yeah. great to hear that he is actually a solid coach because it's someone I would like to see climb the ranks. As Ronnie says, I'm a big fan of his. You know, then Kaylin Jade wrote in. Looks like she's from the US and she's asked, you know, who's been your biggest supporter throughout your career? Actually, I've been asked this question many times and I stick to our guns. It's all my dad since day one. They've been the biggest supporter. I mean, they flew down for all my games that I had in Cape Town, Olivia and Durban. They flew down to all my games. They stayed the weekend um, just from the beginning. From I've played like provincial and national levels for many sports and no matter what they do, they always just back me. They don't push pressure on me. They just allow me to have my dreams and to follow their dreams. And no matter what my dream is, they just support me. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. When did you actually start playing rugby for the first time, Ethan? Okay, well, I'm not sure about other other provinces, but uh, here in Durban, we started about like grade four. Just like basic stuff, run, put the ball down, pick the ball up, you know, simple hand stuff like that. So it's about 10 years old, we started at primary school. And obviously, I think my parents bought me rugby balls. We throw the rugby ball down at like three years old or something like that. But proper rugby training was was 10 years old. And how did you wind up at the Sharks? I mean, I know there's a lot of pathways through school and you are naturally a Natal boy. But were you looking at other provinces yeah. or Sharks always where you wanted to end up? Sure. Sharks, to be honest, out of school, I had no contracts. I didn't get into any universities or anything like that. I had my, my agent, Dylan Cole. He sort of like hooked me up with a deal there at the Sharks. It wasn't actually like a contract or anything like that. I was actually supposed to join the Sharks Academy. So ultimately, I just ended up at the Sharks because that was like the only place I had to go. And from there, I sort of climbed the ranks. I mean, I didn't play any under 20 games last year. Climbed the ranks and all of a sudden stuff started happening to me. And yeah, I love it at the Sharks and there's no plan on me leaving. Yeah, no, that's awesome to hear. We we really are looking forward to seeing you rise through the ranks there as well. As we have said, it is our, our home team. Funny that we both come from Pretoria and support the Sharks, though. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're here behind, behind enemy lines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, we got a question from Ryan. He was asking us, which player outside of SA impressed you most at the under-20 tournament? Oof, easy one. It was that Brian Gleeson, number eight from, from Ireland. 
just a solid, solid ball carrier. We spoke about him in the matchup build up towards Ireland. He's just like one of those menaces on the field. He's just work rates of like exceptional work rates. Strong, strong ball carry. I mean, one on one, if you make a dominant tackle on him, it's, it's not very, it's not going, not like it's going to happen very easily. Just a very, on the field. Very, I think he's also a very clever, clever player as well. Very interesting that you, oh, oh, yeah. Man, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I also thought at the <laughs> under 20 championship, a solo to a laggy, he got a lot of the focus because he is just a giant human. And yeah, it's like you know, it's like a little Hercules there. It's like unnatural to be unnatural to be that big. Yeah, I was I was quite surprised actually researching for this episode to see that he's only eighteen and turning nineteen this week. In fact, and he weighs in at one hundred and forty eight kilos. <laughs> yeah, some Jeez. some big boys yeah. out there that you guys were all all busy. And I mean, it's always lucky to watch the under twenties now because in a few years you see a lot of the guys like you and the, the others from the other nations coming into the senior side and making their career. I mean, if you look at the, at the current box setup, you've got Pollard there, Dweber. All of these guys were, were part of the under-20 team in 2012, I think it was. So it's really lucky to yeah. see, and it's, it's, it's an important tournament for the juniors. Yeah, I think under-20 is like the first level where you, you get noticed because teams are starting to get good. Teams like realize that they can make a living out of rugby and that this is what they want to do for the rest of life. So I think able to perform with all the best players in the world at that level, I mean... That's, I think that's when coaches start looking at you because they realize that you've got what it takes. For sure. Yeah, it's definitely the, the opportunity to make quite a statement. Saying, yeah. you know, we spoke now about your connection with the senior shark side. With the baby box, do you guys get any time with the national side as well? I know they were training in Pretoria, so it was a bit out of the way. But is there any connection there between the two teams? We had Coach Invalidia Stick. He came and coached us for a bit. Or just the backs. We had him for a few backs trainings in our in our camp, in preseason camp, but off field or anything else like that, no, we actually don't have any interaction with the box players. Okay, okay. That's something I would like to see next year, especially with the under-20 championship, like when the sides are, are both in Australia, that you guys can link up. And, and I think it's, it's an opportunity to add some real value there as well. Yeah, it's just another one of those factors where they can add a lot of experience to your game. They obviously playing for many, many years longer than us. And they know a lot more than us and they can easily identify our weaknesses and help us with our weaknesses. Yeah, so that's something I hope to see come come about next year with the, the formal competition taking shape. Darren then asked us, you know, what's the biggest misunderstanding about what it takes to be a professional athlete? And I think this is a, a question many of us wonder because we see what's on TV on yeah. a Saturday, but we miss out on, on everything that goes into the training sessions. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even me as a little boy, you know, grow up wanting to be a rugby player because all you see is them sing the national anthem in front of thousands of people, you know, them driving nice cars, having big houses. But in order to get to that point, I mean, a lot of dark days of, you have a lot of dark days. I mean, training sessions, you, we call it going into the trenches and stuff like that. You, you see the dark side of what's, what you, where your body can take you. And ultimately being able to push your body to that limit is what people don't understand needs to happen. And it's not like, once a month kind of thing, it's you wake up at seven o'clock in the morning on a Monday and you know that your body's got to go to limit every single day to get to that point. Yeah, it's definitely something that's often lost on the fans, like I say, because we don't see your guys day to day. And, yeah, you know, it's, I'm sure it takes a lot of sacrifice as well. But how big would you say definitely. the step up is from schoolboy to, to now club level? The step, it's, I'd say, is a lot. I mean, Last year, I struggled a lot last year with form and just understanding. I think it's simply because this 
the step was so big and I couldn't handle that step. I mean, I was under 19 playing in under 20 group and all of a sudden these players were much better than me. I understood way more of the game and stuff like that. I think that that step is actually enormous because ultimately after school, only the best of the best con- get contracted and you bring the best of the best into, into one group like the Sharks. Whereas at Westfall, there's lots of guys who don't actually see a future with themselves playing rugby and they don't actually push themselves like that. So the step is huge because all of a sudden with people that live, breathe, drink rugby, that's that's who they are. That's definitely something to get used to, I would imagine, because the size, like you say, the skill level and I mean the competition within the squad must be quite immense. How big are the groups that they assemble when you guys link up after school? So my age group, there must there's fifteen of us contracted. And then from there we have a group of maybe fifteen, but then we bring in there's a few non contract guys and there are clubs in order if we if we need them. So I think before our under twenty comp on our um talks under twenty comp, we had a squad of just about thirty. So just two full teams training against each other. So it's a fair fair amount of players there, hey? Yeah. From there only fifteen are contracted. Okay, lacquer. So then Ethan, I've got a I've got a question. Sorry, Nick, I have to jump in. Yeah, no problem going. I've got a I've got a question and and, and Ethan, you carry yourself as uh, across as quite a you know, a person with a lot of humility, and I'm quite impressed by that. But I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you a question. And I've asked some of the other players before, and it comes down to practice. It comes down to when the coaches aren't around and the people are trying to kick for posts. They always There's always a forward there that thinks that they can kick really well. So I'm hoping that you can give us a <laughs> couple of names of, of forwards. Exactly. The props think they can kick well. So are there any, any players in, your, in and around your team that think they can really kick really well but uh, but probably shouldn't if Dion Hillis is watching this he knows it's him <laughs> I just have to jump in yeah. quickly and remind everyone that the props are the smartest and best looking players in any team oh, sure. oh, yeah. once again only a prop would say that <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough Ronnie there with his kicking things eh? Ronnie also likes I love that question <laughs> Yeah, but I'm, I'm an eighth man yeah. that should have been in the back line, right? So we've asked that question. <laughs> People tend, tend to stray away. So I'm really I'm really stoked, uh, Ethan, that you're happy to answer that. We'll keep an eye out and see if oh, there's ever a the f- game moment for where the, where, the, where the props need to step up. We'll, 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 we'll keep an eye out. <laughs> if coaches yeah, had... you finish that question, I had a name in mind. I knew that. <laughs> you know, if coaches didn't say to the forwards, don't kick, Bucky's Buerta could have been the most prolific conversion taker in South Africa, guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, it would have looked awkward of when he picked for polls, but I mean, it could work. <laughs> yeah, so Ethan, then just a couple of sort of more general rugby topics we'd like to hear from you because you, like we did, I'm sure, grew up wanting to play rugby, looking at super rugby and thinking, you know, this is the competition where I'm going to get into the senior sides. Now we've obviously shifted to the URC. Which which side of the fence do you fall on that? Do you prefer the old super rugby or are you enjoying the current URC? Sure, I love the URC. I think that the change in competition, the styles of competition, benefits both us and the Northern Hemisphere. I think us being able to play a lot in those wet, windy conditions up in the Northern Hemisphere, it also helps our game because, I mean, awesome series come along we go there, we struggle on that weather, but all of a sudden now our teams are used to it. We go there and we have confidence in playing that weather. So I think I prefer that the URC over the Super Rugby as of now. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I'm a big fan of the URC. Struggled in the beginning to make the switch, but when the Heineken Cup joined in this year, you know, playing in North just made yeah. sense and it really has been great, eh, Ronnie? 
Yeah, it's a lot more exciting, for absolutely. I was a big fan of Super Rugby, and I do enjoy the afternoon games a bit more than the early morning ones. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, looking ahead at the Springboks and their upcoming World Cup, only a handful of games. Just curious to hear from you who you think the biggest threats at the World Cup are going to be this year. I hate to say it, but uh, Ireland, Ireland, France. Yeah, I think everyone's talking <laughs> just, them just at the nations, Yeah, but I mean, it's one thing to talk about them; it's another thing to go on the field and show who's the best. Ultimately, that's all that matters: who gets on the field that day and performs. For sure, and I mean, you've been now in in a number of professional team environments, Ethan. A lot of panic from fans, definitely on social media, about the Springboks' loss to New Zealand. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, is that something that you think can derail the team, or is that something that you you expect to see them bouncing back from? Yeah, a loss like that in their minds. I don't think that's uh, that's not that's just part of the journey. I think the end result or the end vision is is the World Cup, and you're obviously going to get ups and downs during your journey. And I think that's just one of the low points. I mean, then again, we're still trying combos in our team. We're missing big players. Something like that is not really going to affect our, our players' mindsets, I'm hoping. But uh, definitely, I think they, their mindset is towards the World Cup. Yeah, and I, th- I think a loss a loss sometimes galvanizes a team and makes them a little bit stronger. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's, definitely. that's important. Like I said before, that's, that's where you learn your mistakes is against tough opposition and where you, your back's against the wall and a result like that does come your way. Yeah, for sure. And I think as South Africans, we love being on the back foot being underestimated so that we can come to the World Cup and, and really put on a good effort. So hopefully we're going to get that from the boys. But Ethan, thank you so much for joining us, bud. We really appreciate you being here with me and Ronnie. I know the, the followers and the listeners are really going to enjoy it as well. So yeah, thanks for taking the time to join us, bud, and good luck for, for the upcoming season. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was really, really a cool experience and I'll definitely do it again. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Ethan. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap, guys. And Bills? If you enjoyed this episode and didn't mind our terrible puns, please do us a solid and smash that like button. Remember, subscribing to our podcast may not make you a better rugby player, but it will make you more knowledgeable around the bry while screaming at the TV. We might not have the biceps of a prop or the speed of a winger, but we've got enough rugby banter to keep you entertained for the entire season. Grab it up, light the bry, and we'll catch you back here next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.